Good morning. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. It's sometimes different. Have you sensed that at all this week as you've been living your life serving the Lord? That he's been leading you in ways that you were not expecting and directing your life? And have you been open to that? Let's just uh, pray and ask the Lord to guide and direct our hearts and minds as we <coughs> study his word this morning. Father, we come before you and we've, we've worshipped your name, your identity, who you are. And I pray that you have been blessed by our worship. Not just this singing, the song, our voices, but our hearts. I pray that they would be just directed toward you this morning. That you would, your name would be lifted up from the deepest parts of our being, that we would recognize who you are, what you've done for us, and what you are wanting to do through us in this life. So guide us as we explore your word, as we study a bit of the history that, um, that you have inspired and put in this book for us, that we might be guided by its truth, and that your spirit would work in our hearts and lives daily as we seek to to walk with you so lead us we pray in christ's name amen so we continue on in the uh the book of acts looking at the way the lord leads our course through his word and through the spirit and as we do that as we get an idea that it is the lord who's supposed to be leading us i trust that your hands have loosened on the reins a little bit. You know what I mean? Not that we, we let things get out of control, but that we stop thinking we are the ones who have to direct everything. That we allow God to direct more than simply our good sense. You know, sometimes we, we, we get thinking, but I understand, I know how things should be. You know, I've been through this before, I've done this or that, and. And so I need to be the one who is, is directing things. But we've seen how Paul and the other church leaders had to release a little bit the reins uh, as they entered into conflict and controversy among themselves and in their ministry. They had to submit to truth. And some of them were off track when it came to God's truth and the gospel. They had to allow God to be the final authority in doctrinal difficulties and differences of opinions. You know, when God is working in somebody's heart and leading them in a different direction to do something different than you think they should do, and it's not something that's biblical, it's just a different opinion, what do you do? Well, we read that verse in Ephesians 4, 7 where it says grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. We don't understand maybe necessarily how God is leading somebody else, but if they're not doing something, if it's just against what you feel they should be doing, can you let go and say, okay, God, you, you, you have control, you're sovereign. I don't need to be in control of everything and we saw how Paul and Barnabas agreed to disagree over John Mark. And they went off in two different directions. 
you know, we just read it here, but I wonder how easy that was for them. I wonder if there was this nagging, you know, in Paul's mind, but I'm an apostle. And Barnabas is going, but I'm showing grace. We don't know. We don't get all the details of that situation. But we see how it worked out. And you know there's a necessity to do things that are not easy. Things that aren't maybe natural for us. When we're in relationship with a supernatural God. When we're trying to follow him. You know, sometimes we think we have things figured out. The things will always happen in a certain way. And that we should do things in a particular manner. The way it all happened before. But would God call us to do things against what we're thinking? Would he move in ways that we're not accustomed to? I mean, it's said in what we read in Isaiah 55, his ways are higher than our ways. And that was specifically talking about mercy. You know, sometimes we're not so ready to show mercy. But in that passage, it's saying, hey, God is more merciful than we are as human beings. Excuse me, got a bit of a cough. And God is gracious. And God has plans and purposes and ideas and He knows what's going on, and we have to go, well, we don't, so we have to be dependent on him. Well, in Acts chapter 16, Paul begins his second missionary journey. We went through his first missionary journey, and we could look at this and we go, okay, how is this applicable to us? But we need to remember that everything that the apostles did, what was transcribed here in this book of Acts, inspired by God, through Luke, it reflects the principles that continue to govern our relationship with God for those of us who want to have a living, breathing relationship with God. Sometimes we accept a cold, lifeless relationship when God offers us so much more. Especially, and this is the danger, especially after we've walked with the Lord for some time. We figure, oh, we got this. We understand how things work. We know better than God how things work. (laughs) Not quite. We wouldn't say that. But we act that way sometimes. And we just think it's routine. This is the way we do it. And we forget that this is a living relationship and that God will be working through his word and his spirit to prompt us maybe to go in different directions. So we're not just, you know, to pray, to sing, to study his word. We try and be faithful in these responsibilities. They are essential. But it's more than that. It's a living relationship. And we know what happens in other relationships if we just show up and do our job. (laughs) Doesn't matter whether it's work or friendship or marriage. There should be some above and beyond in the relationship, shouldn't there? 
and that helps the other party. If it's work, let's say, you go to work and you just do your job, you know, the nine to five sort of thing, your employer doesn't know your heart's in it. You don't know if your heart's in it. And so sometimes there are these unexpected concessions that we make to show, you know, we're in this, we're all in. What unexpected concessions have we made over this past week where, you know, it wasn't just, oh, another week, another day, another dollar. It was, it was you know what, I went out of my, God prompted me, I saw this need or I felt the Spirit leading me in this direction and I did something that was, you know, just not on my normal path. Any of that happened this week in our lives? Did we take any risks? Did we reroute or reconsider what is normal in our relationship with the Lord? You see, as we began, or as I began reading Acts chapter 16, this is what I noted in the first three paragraphs. There were things that, that Paul was doing that were normal for him and then it seemed there were these things that just kind of were aberrations. There was just thrown in there that, what, where did that come from? That wasn't expected. And so we're on this second missionary journey, and it's an unexpected journey. Or there are unexpected things along the way. And we learn about risking, rerouting, and reconsidering. Makes it a living, loving relationship. So let's begin reading together, and let's... Try and understand what's going on here. We know Paul and Barnabas have separated. Paul has gone with Silas. And they decided, we're going to go back and visit the churches that we established, the groups, the congregations, the cities, that we where we established a work on the first missionary journey. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers. Had a good resume at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in their numbers daily. Now we see here Paul doing something that makes a lot of sense. He'd done the one journey, he'd been back to Antioch, down to Jerusalem, back to Antioch again. And it made sense that he would go, you know what? We want to go touch base with those congregations. They were young believers, churches that just sort of sprang up in a short amount of time. We want to go make sure that they're walking faithfully, that they're encouraged in what they're doing, that they're established in, in the doctrine, the truth that we're... And there was that issue with circumcision, right? There was that question, should that be a part of our salvation? And just to redefine that and encourage them, no, it's Christ. It's all about Christ, and it's only about Christ. Salvation is in Christ because of what he did on the cross. It's the gospel, and only the gospel, that saves 
a person. Saved by grace. Faith in him. Faith in what he has done. And so it made sense that he would return and to go to these places to preach and to encourage. But you know, as I started to read this, I started to notice a couple things. First of all, Derby and Lystra. Maybe skip those towns. Remember what happened there? That was where Paul was stoned and left for dead. They tried to kill him. They made a, a serious intent on his life. First risk right there. I mean, he, he could have justified it. You know what? For the longevity of ministry, it might be best to skip these places. But no, there were congregations there that needed to be encouraged, needed to share with them. Paul says, I'm going back. First thing that was a risk that was against maybe the natural flow of what Paul would want to do as a human being. Then, then, wow, it's necessary to train others. Paul picks this young ministry partner. And we might say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Paul just have difficulties with another young buck who couldn't hang, couldn't, couldn't hang in there with them when they were ministering? Remember John Mark? Maybe that's the whole dispute with Barnabas was over John Mark. And you could say, you know, once bitten, twice shy. Paul could say, I had a bad experience with this. I'm only going to take tried and true disciples now. But he goes to Lerby, or Derby and Lystra, sees this guy, Timothy. He, he, he sees promise, and he goes, hey, I'm going to take him with me. He's going to be one of, the, one, one of the guys who's going to serve alongside of me. Hmm, does that make sense? Thirdly, Paul is Timothy circumcised. And this is the thing that doesn't make sense at all. Didn't Paul just have a big dispute with, it seemed like, the whole rest of the church? Saying circumcision is not necessary. And here he is taking this young man and saying, we're going to circumcise you. This was not an easy decision. This would have been something you say, well, we're just going to gloss over it. We'll just forget about this. And... People might be thinking, wow, Paul's flip-flopping here. And you know, we, we might start to read these sort of things and see what Paul's doing, charging into danger. Oh, didn't work out with one young, I got another young man. And, and well, circumcision is not necessary. And all of a sudden he's circumcising this guy. And we can start to think, you know, spirituality is kind of an arbitrary thing. And you know, you and I know that in this world today, there are those who would present it that way. The more random you are, the more spiritual you are. And you just run off in this direction or do this odd thing and people think, wow, what a spiritual guy. Do you know what? Our responsibility is follow the Lord, to follow the Lord in his leading. It's not about seeming spiritual or trying to be spiritual, but it's about developing an intimacy with the Lord 
Whereas we walk in obedience, we, we know where he's directing us. And sometimes that is at the cost of making sense to other people. Well, in what way? Well, we see that Paul went into danger, but he understood he was called to go encourage the churches. That was something that was very clear to him. And then in this area of of taking on another young man, he knows the responsibility there is to continue to train the church. I mean, that goes back as far as Matthew 28. We're to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. In fact, Paul said to Timothy in a letter to him, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he talks about Timothy taking the things that he has learned and teaching them to faithful men. It's an ongoing process. And so Paul isn't going, oh, well, you know, I had a bad experience with, with another young man, so I'm not, never going to go down that road again. No, he knows we keep going. We keep searching out these people who we can mentor and train up and lead on. He doesn't use the excuse of a bad experience. And finally, this whole thing with circumcision. The problem was, the argument that there was before was they were saying it was a part of salvation. And Paul was saying no. Has nothing to do with salvation. In fact, Jesus completed the law. These traditional things are no longer important for salvation. They have nothing to do with us showing or expressing our faith. And in this situation, Paul is concerned about getting the gospel out. He wants to eliminate any obstacles that might inhibit Timothy's ministry he doesn't want timothy to be offensive to the jewish people that he will be going to reach timothy he was half jew his father was a gentile his mother was a jew do you know how they measured whether you were a jew or not by your mother And so in the course of conversation, or maybe it was something more obvious to them at that time, I don't know, but they would have figured out, oh, this guy is a Jew, yet, oh, he's got a Gentile name, oh, what's the story here? Oh, your mother's Jewish, okay, then you're Jewish. Are you following the Jewish traditions as a Jew? And you can understand how that might be offensive to Jewish people if he wasn't. And you could say, well, they shouldn't be judging him. But that's not the point. We make deference so that there will be no obstacle as we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, remember back in, in the old days, it was, you know, oh, those young kids with long hair. And it, you could say it's, it's something similar to that. If that was an offense, if that was an offense to some people that you're trying to reach for the gospel, would you cut your hair? Because we, I know anything goes today. Whatever you want to do, you can do. That's what people think. 
but it still impacts people. I remember one young man I was talking to, he had earrings, and then all of a sudden he didn't have earrings. And I said, oh, where'd the earrings go? Because I talk about these things. Where'd the earrings go? He says, you know what? I noticed that I, one day I didn't have them in, and I was dealing with these older people, and I was immediately getting more respect from them. Put the connection together. He says, you know what? It just, it's better kind of to be a blank slate. In the same sense, you know, there's a motorcycle group who hang out in town. What if I was to show up there dressed like this? <laughs> Share the gospel with them. Might I not go in dressed quite like this? Now, I... I'm not going to go in in biker leathers with <laughs> lick and stick tattoos and stuff like that. People smell the phoniness in a moment. But you remove things that might be a barrier where people would immediately go, can't trust that guy. I can't identify with him at all. And it's not that we bend over backwards to try and be like... But but you go in without ops. And that's what the point was here in terms of circumcision. It wasn't Paul going, well, I know I said to them circumcision wasn't necessary, but now I think it... He was just saying, hey, Timothy, you want to have a ministry? You want to have a ministry with me? We're going into situations where, what was Paul's custom? Go first to the synagogue. You want to have a good start to your ministry, Timothy? This is what you need to do. <laughs> Difficult. But Timothy was willing to do it for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. And so, in each of these counterintuitive decisions, decisions that wouldn't necessarily go along with the way that you're thinking, we see Paul's willingness to follow the Lord, to risk his life, uh, to risk his image for the sake of the kingdom. Why? Because he was walking in the spirit. He's walking in obedience with the Lord. Remember that passage in Galatians 5. It talks about walking in the spirit, not living in sin. And it talks, goes from walking in the spirit to being led by the spirit. There's an objective you know, this is what we should be doing. God has commanded us to do this. Let's do these things. And then, because of the depth of relationship, because of the openness in our relationship with the Lord, we're being led by the Spirit. It moves to these things where there's the prompting for non-objective decisions that we might make. And the Lord is leading him in his life. He's walking by faith not by sight. And when we say walk by faith, I know some people say, oh, I walk by faith, not by sight. It means I can do whatever, willy-nilly. No. Walking by faith, faith is a relationship with Christ. And the Lord's spoken to us through his word in some very clear ways. If you're in the relationship, you're in the word. And then he's given us his spirit, and his spirit leads. 
His Spirit helps us in the application of the objective word. So let's note that any of these unconventional decisions that Paul is making here in this second missionary journey are on the heels of him being willing to comply to the straightforward choice of following the Lord and doing what he should be doing. Well, it gets more interesting. Let's carry on reading. Verses 6 to 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him in this vision, come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as Paul is working his way backwards, remember in the first missionary journey, he went by sea up to this area and was working his way toward Antioch. This time he went from Antioch by land. He's working his way backwards through the region, visiting these congregations. All of a sudden, he's forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go any further. And we might say, what does that even look like? Did their car break down? Was there a bridge out? Was it just a sensing? Or was it something stronger? How did God communicate that to them? We don't know. We're not told. It's not explained in detail here. But they knew. They knew that God said no to here, no further. I got a different plan. And when they needed guidance, God gave them that clear guidance through a vision. The man from Macedonia. And how did Paul respond? Well, he doesn't fight it. He doesn't question it. He doesn't say, no, but I've got to finish this circuit. I've got to... No, it says twice. The Spirit said no. Uh, Jesus told them, no, no further. And so Paul responds. How does God lead us today? Well, we've gone over that a little bit. He leads us through his word, this objective truth. Sometimes when people say, I I don't know the will of God, and they're confused about the will of God, the, the simple problem is they haven't read the word of God. God spoke to us through his word. And we respond with a common sense application of the word. We, we don't just take a phrase or a, a, a one line or one verse and go, well, I'm going to, you know, just apply that any way I want to. To me, this is the famous, to me that verse means no. What did God mean? <laughs> when he inspired that verse to be written. If it was in the letter, a letter of Paul written to somebody, what did it mean to the initial people who were reading that? 
That's how we understand what God meant. What was he saying to them? And there's no other meaning. There's one meaning. Now maybe there are different applications. You know, maybe the way it applied to those people there and us now is a bit different. In fact, it probably will be a little bit different because of the age we're living in. But that's the important first step. Common sense application of the word. That's where our submission to God begins. And that will give us a confidence in any uncommon sense type application that God might be leading us toward. Oh, I've, I've got things to do, Lord. I've, I'm, I've got this and this. You really want me to go talk to that person about the Lord? I've got a schedule to keep here. And you want me to stop? I mean, this is a good plan. This was, God, these are all things that you would have me do. And yet you're presenting me with this opportunity, this responsibility. But you know, when we're walking in obedience in the word, when our hearts are submissive to the Lord, we're ready to be turned this way or that by him. There has to be this sort of continuity, though, where we're walking in obedience first and the things that, hey, we should be doing. If there's not this continuity, then it reveals a false spirituality. I'm not talking about judging other people. I'm talking, first of all, about evaluating our own lives, our own walk with the Lord. We know we struggle in our faith walk. We struggle sometimes to know and to trust the impulses of the Spirit of God is making that are not just obvious, cut and dry things. We struggle to know what it is God wants us to do. We struggle especially, though, when we're not walking in basic obedience. We're not doing those things that we have been called to do that are obvious right here in the Word. We're not spending time in worship personally, privately with the Lord each day. Romans 8.16 says, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do we have that time where we're, we're open to hearing from him, we're, we're praying to him, we're worshiping him, we're studying his word, we're doing the things that we should do? Are we involved in, in the obvious? We know how it applies to other people. You can't trust a person who presents as spiritual or super spiritual. This could be someone you know personally or, or one of these internationally acclaimed ministers that have such an impressive spiritual portfolio and yet they're not walking with the Lord in the basic areas of Christian obedience. There's pride. There's lying. 
They're not really loving. There's, there's a lack of moral purity, basic kindness. You know, we so, see somebody who's presenting themselves as somebody who, who's super spiritual. They're not doing these basic things. They're not trustworthy. There's no integrity. Our trust level should drop. And we shouldn't feel guilty about it. That's not the way God leads in a person's life. God's really moving and changing a person's life. It's not that they're going to be doing wild and spiritual things over here and then just not doing the basic stuff that we should be doing as we grow in Christ toward maturity. And that applies to us as well. The basic message here is do what is expected. And then the Lord will lead in the unexpected. But everybody wants to do the unexpected thing. They want to do something spectacular. <laughs> Sometimes spectacular is just walking in faithful obedience, right? That's pretty spectacular when you think about who we are as human beings. The challenge we have to just put one foot in front of the other to do what we should do. When we do that, then God will lead us in things that maybe are less expected or unexpected. And so we see here with Paul the consistent walk in what they knew the Lord had called them to. He was apostle to the Gentiles. He was involved in that ministry. He was faithful. Put them in a position to follow the Lord's lead into Macedonia, rerouting them from Turkey, what is modern-day Turkey, to modern-day Greece. You realize what God's doing here as they're faithful in obedience in the, the known things? He's giving them this prompting to enter a new continent, to go from Asia to Europe. God's opening the way for new ministry. Let's carry on reading. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and, followed, and, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the last paragraph we're going to deal with this morning. And there is the connecting thread once again in this paragraph where this group Steps outside of the normal, what is typical for them. 
we read here, we made a direct voyage. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is obviously part of the group. And, you know, because he does a lot of the writing, we forget about this. He kind of sits in the background and records what's going on. But here is Luke, Dr. Luke, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, the guy who wrote the history of the Acts, and he's joined in with this group. We don't know how many were in this group. And they're saying, okay, we got rerouted. We're to go to Macedonia. And they made a very direct voyage and arrive in Europe. Maybe we can see them, you know, sort of being left on their own to make decisions from here because they, they get to Macedonia. And it says they went to Philippi. Philippi was a major city in the area. That would make sense. Okay, God sent us here to make an impact. What do we do? Okay, Philippi. Let's go to Philippi. We'll work from there. And so they go there to this leading city in the district. Makes sense. Then things go in an unanticipated direction. It's the Sabbath. Well, where does Paul go on the Sabbath? We've seen it, you know, sort of starting up as he goes to the different places. It always mentions, oh, and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And in chapter 17, verse 2, it says this, as was Paul's custom. By that point in time, later on in the book of Acts, this is the custom of Paul, always to the synagogue, not today. We don't know what the deal was. Maybe there was no synagogue. But he says, we went to the river where we supposed. It sounded like there was some sort of a prayer group who met by the river. So on this Sabbath day, they didn't go to the synagogue. They went to the river. And ministered to a bunch of women. Strange for that day, right? as they go to this prayer group on the river, as they begin the ministry in Europe, they find themselves sharing the gospel with a group of ladies. Not in any sort of an official religious institution. So instead of it being some religious figure some Jewish gentleman who is the first convert in Europe. It's a lady. A business lady. Seller of purple. An industry of the time. When we think back, it's kind of like Jesus as he begins his ministry in Samaria. Remember the disciples? Not crazy about going into Samaria with them, but they're following they leave him at a well as they go find food and a woman comes out of the city and she's the first to hear that he is the Messiah. Who'd have thunk it? His ways are higher than our ways. He's the one who has the purpose. And he's the one who knows the plan to accomplish those purposes. 
who is it who can discover the mysterious ways of the Lord? Anyone who is willing to follow the expected ways of the Lord. And through that submission, discover the unexpected ways of the Lord. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you'd help. Help us to to readjust our thinking, to come before you and recognize that you are holy God. We would say that in a moment. But to live and believe that, to walk through this life with a sort of obedience that, that we should have, that you deserve as the God and creator of the universe, as the savior of our souls. You saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ, something we would not expect. Those who should have been most prepared didn't see it coming. And yet they were given a way to prepare, to follow the law, to follow you, to look to you that would prepare them for that. An objective law should have put them in the perfect position to be used by you in the initiating of the church. And yet they weren't ready. Lord, we recognize that same trend in our own lives. A failure to love you and to walk in objective truth, things that we know we should do, that would put us in the perfect position to a, for a deeper, more intimate relationship with you as we were surprised by your ways that are above our ways. The prompting, leading impulses of your spirit. <coughs> Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our failure in this area of just basic obedience, willing submission, love. Help us to want to love you more as we walk in faithfulness with you. Work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.